Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. My life has been heavily influenced by media, and I mean that on a very personal level. My parents owned a small weekly newspaper in southern Georgia, and when we moved to Atlanta, they stayed in that world, with my dad working as a newspaper editor and a congressional spokesman, while my mom built up a public relations firm. And all of that eventually led to their starting yet another local newspaper. As for me, this podcast is as close as I get to media. I never found the newspaper life appealing, in part because in the modern news environment, Conservative reporters have to work hard in general, and then doubly so, to defend or even hide their views. There are, happily, others out there with greater fortitude than me, and they are filling the need to have right-of-center voices in media. Today we're going to hear from three groups making a positive impact on the media landscape, the Student Free Press Association's College Fix, Young Voices, and Franklin News's Center Square. These, and a handful of other groups that I'll mention at the end, are cultivating talent and sharing a free market perspective in growing ways. I'm excited for you to hear about them, even though you'll hear my voice varying effects of a sinus infection as we go along. But let's jump in. We'll begin today on college campuses. It's frankly about my least favorite place these days, uh, which is why I'm glad there are groups like Student Free Press Association out there. Student Free Press Association, better known through its online news site, uh, the College Fix, identifies, trains, and cultivates journalism talent at the college level to go out into the world. John J. Miller is the founder and executive director of the College Fix and its parent organization and is here to hopefully give us a little bit of hope about the future of journalism. John, these young folks you're working with at the College Fix, who are they? Are they in journalism programs? Are they working at school newspapers? Are they outside of that structure? Where are these? Where's this talent coming from? It's a little bit of everything. We, we recruit anybody who is interested in practicing journalism and is maybe interested in a career in journalism. So we, we do two things at the College Fix. One is we tell stories, and the other is we spot talent. So we use our College Fix website to do hard news reporting on what's really happening on college campuses. We, we report on cancel culture. We report on abuses of free speech and religious liberty, and we do it in a hard news way. We get students to do this reporting for us and have them just tell us the facts about what's, our, what's happening. Not They don't write op-eds. Occasionally we'll do an op-ed, but really they're doing news stories on what's happening. And the other thing we're trying to do is find young people who have a flair for this, maybe an interest in it. They want to try it out professionally so we can bring them into the profession. So, so who are they? They're, they're all kinds of people. Uh, some are working for campus publications. Many of them are on campuses that don't have publications or don't have publications that are amenable to their points of view, uh, publications that exclude conservatives or libertarians or classical liberals, and uh, they really don't have a home on campus to practice journalism and to try it out. So we recruit them. Uh, we, we, have a, we have a person on staff whose job it is to to try and find these people, which which he does by looking at campus publications, but also 
reaching out through uh, uh, allied student organizations like Students for Liberty, Young Americas for Freedom, that sort of thing. And increasingly, students find us by word of mouth. They learn about what we're doing and come to our website. It's pretty easy to figure out how to how to send us a message and, and, and say you want to try it out. So they're coming from all sorts of places, and, and we're just on the hunt all the time for raw talent. Now, where did the College Fix come from? How did it get started? I'm a product of the right of center campus journalism movement. And 30 years ago, I was editing the Michigan Review, which was the conservative slash libertarian student publication at the University of Michigan. And that was my entry into this world. And, and, and from there, I, I, I became a professional writer and I spent most of my career at National Review. And um, when I was at National Review full time, in the Washington Bureau, I'd run the internships and, and, and oversee the young people coming through, and, and I really enjoyed doing that. What I, what I started to notice, though, is that, is that I thought we needed a new way to approach college students, a new way to find them, uh, a, 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 and, 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 and so I had this idea for the college fix that would, that would not require uh, expensive publications on campuses. In fact, we could just work individually with people who want to try out journalism. So we created this mechanism where we can just take a single solitary kid on a campus anywhere with, with, a, with a, you know, you can be at a campus publication or not. And uh, we, can, we can work with them, we can train them up, and then we can make further investments of, of, of fellowships and uh, career counseling and, and that sort of thing. But, but it really came out of the fact that, you know, I owe my, I owe my, my, my professional life to to these organizations that have invested in in young people, and I I I, I, I owe a debt to it, but I also wanted to be a part of it, and uh, and and try and find the next generation of great journalists. So give us a little optimism here, uh, maybe on journalism in general, but also on the campuses. Do you have any stories we're sharing of someone who's gone through the program and and kind of how the program has had an impact on them, or or kind of maybe vice versa? We have a great. A group of alumni. We've been doing this now for more than 10 years. And if you look at the people who have written for us, and then also the ones who've done fellowships for us, and we're, we have, we, we pay, we pay uh, stipends for people who will go work at professional publications for 10 weeks or 14 weeks to try it out and see if they, they like this and maybe get hired. At any rate, we, uh, uh, we, we have a great alumni network of, of people who've gone on to work at the Wall Street Journal editorial page, at, uh, at the Center Square publications, at, uh, well, you name it. I mean, they're, they're in, they're in um, um, right-of-center journalism. They're also in mainstream journalism. We have a few alumni who are working at local television stations. And so uh, through the College Fix, we've been able to, as I say, spot talent and, 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 and build some careers. And I think a number of these people wouldn't be in journalism today, but for this group, and we've we've been able to uh, 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 stop them from going to law school or or or, or pursue another career and, and 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 go into the media where where we need so much help because people of our persuasion, people believe in free markets, free speech, uh, religious liberty, all of that can have such a hard time in the media. And if we're concerned about about political bias in the media, there's really only one solution for that, and that's to get more uh, uh, viewpoint diversity 
into the ranks of the media. And that's, uh, that's, that's what we've made our goal. And uh, we, ha- we have a great alumni network and it's growing and more established. And we're at the point now where some of our alumni are hiring our fellows. So that's, uh, that's been nice to see. That's really great. Yeah. One of my questions for you was going to be, where do these folks go after college and how many of them do you do know a percentage that st- of your writers that then stick it out and go into journalism? Do a lot of them fall off or is it that's a great question, and because we believe in metrics and accountability and transparency, that's, that's something we've analyzed. When, when we make an investment in a young person for one of these fellowships, uh, we want to know how, how often does this pay off? I mean, not every time, not every time do, we, do we produce a professional journalist with one of these things. So we want to know our track record. We, we, we did a survey not long ago to, to figure this out. And so over the last um, seven or eight years, uh, among our fellows, the people we sponsored at publications, 60% of them today work as professional journalists. And if you add into uh, a related fields of media, such as speech writing, book publishing, and so forth, which of course are natural homes for people trained in journalism and also areas where we still need a lot of help, uh, the, the figure goes up to 74%. So, so about three quarters of, of the young people we invest in wind up in the media, uh, broadly understood. And then, and then, as I say, 60% of them are actually practicing journalists today. That's really amazing, especially given the hostile environments uh, that they can often walk into, into different newsrooms and things. So that's, that's really terrific. Now, you intersect with young journalists in another way as well, kind of with your day job, if you will. You're the head of the Dow Journalism Program at Hillsdale College, which many listeners will know well. What does that program mean to do? So I run the journalism program at Hillsdale College. We have a campus newspaper and a campus radio station. And our mission here is to, again, bring students into the professional media, students with a Hillsdale education, students with a, a Hillsdale outlook. And uh, I, I sometimes like to joke um, uh, the college fix, which is entirely separate from Hillsdale College. I sometimes joke that's my Dow journalism program for the rest of America. But uh, what it means is I, I spend uh, the large bulk of my professional life in this area of talent development and trying to find young people who are interested in careers in journalism and uh, train them up. And then and then create some uh, professional opportunities. So I'm I'm on the faculty at Hillsdale, but unlike virtually all of my colleagues, I have a PhD in nothing. What what I've done is I've 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 worked professionally in in the field. I've I've spent um, most of my career on the staff of National Review, and I'm I'm, I'm still on the masthead and, and write for it and podcast for it. I'm I'm active there as well. But uh, that's that's my experience is, is, is being in the field. And 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 what that means is I, I know a lot of editors. I know reporters. And when I have a, a talented young person, I can often make a phone call and say, I've, I've got someone for you to look at. And and that's that's been a great uh, uh, blessing to be able to, to do that and, and 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 help help people find jobs. Well, I wanted a little bit of optimism and a little bit of hope. I think you gave that to me, hopefully to other people listening as well, and hope you can continue to grow this and scale it because we need more people who have these perspectives out there. So, Well, when you, when you work with young people, you got to be optimistic. And when you work with talented ones, you can't help but be optimistic. Uh, there, there's so much hope, so much potential with these young people. And we don't know what the future holds, but uh, I'll tell you, it is worth fighting for. And that's what we're doing here at the, at the College Fix. Well, John Miller, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Peter.
Journalism comes in many forms, and what people view as news is not confined to the straight reporting of the front page. In fact, opinion and commentary matter too, and content that shares different views is not always confined just to newsprint, nor is it limited to folks of a certain age. Joining me today is Casey Given, who is going to talk to us about some of the ways that he and his group Young Voices are helping bring in that next generation of pundit and analyst and journalist uh, onto the scene. Casey, glad you're here. Convince me off the bat that this next generation of journalists and media personalities isn't completely lost, because frankly, I think a lot of people listening probably think it is lost. Yeah, um, well, it's great to be here with you, Peter. Um, I think this there's a tremendous opportunity for the next generation of uh, kind of journalists, media pundits, uh, and writers that I think has not been seen for decades. Um, for better or for worse, kind of the barriers to entry for joining the media are lower than ever before, which is better in the sense that there can be uh, unheard voices enter and tell their stories and provide a critical perspective um, that haven't been heard traditionally throughout uh, U.S. history. Um, perhaps some people might say worse because the the guardians of media, the Walter Cronkites or whatnot, the days of so-called objective media are gone, although we can quibble about that if that ever did exist. Um, and so I think this presents a tremendous opportunity that Young Voices is trying to seize um, and that we're working on is to try to bring in uh, to inject new voices, particularly those that are for liberty, for the fundamentals of um, the rule of law, democracy, free speech that need to be critically heard. And we found, at least in our program, um, just increasing demand year after year of younger people who want to get involved in reporting and commentary um, and analysis. So I'm pretty optimistic for the future. So let's let's go into the Young Voices origin story. How did it come about how did it get going yeah so we we've had an and we have a kind of atypical origin story in that young voices has really evolved over time um we were founded originally as a project of students for liberty a great libertarian student group um, that i was involved in in college in 2013 um, originally young voices was intended essentially just to get sfl leaders into the media um, but as the months and years started to go by, we got um, we realized that we tapped into a new underserved audience that really few other nonprofits were serving. That was young professionals. So we were getting plenty of applications, lots of inquiries from people who were uh, recently out of college, just starting at a job or an internship, wanted to advance their career, but weren't necessarily part of SFL or any other libertarian student organization. So SFL um, offered me in 2016 the opportunity to spin off Young Voices into its own 501c3 nonprofit and really take advantage of this new audience and this new opportunity being more of a policy-focused, hard media-focused nonprofit. And I've been at the helms ever since then. Um, Growing our talent roster, we now serve over 100 students and young professionals with um, editing and pitching their op-eds, getting them onto broadcast media for TV, radio, connecting them with policy mentors, and so much more. And what's that age demographic that you're 
focused on? Yeah. So we work with 18 to 35 year olds. Um, we're, we're called young voices, but we take a very liberal definition of the word young, um, especially I'm 32. So I, I'm still holding on to that, <laughs> clinging on to that young label. Um, the median age of our participants is 24. So we do have some undergraduates. We do have some people who are um, more in, entering kind of the middle period of their career. But really where we found the most um, impact is with people who are recently out of college, really starting to get the, their, um, trying to feel out what their career will look like. And we provide them with kind of the mentorship, continuous learning opportunities to take the next steps in what will hopefully be a successful career. And you said something earlier that it's essentially easier than ever before now to to launch into media because you can launch a YouTube station, you can have a podcast, you can you can go around the traditional channels. But do the folks that are coming to you have a lot of them tinkered with that, but they want something more concrete, or are they knowing they want to go a more traditional path? How do you what do you see with the yeah, so we do have some people who are um, uh, who are starting to get their own ventures up and going with media. That's one program we also have is called our accelerator program for YouTube and podcast hosts for people who are more creative types who are looking to produce their own content. Um, but most of the people we um, serve are really kind of more traditionally in the research, analysis, journalism space. And we serve them by editing and pitching their op-eds for publication and also getting them onto radio and TV. And this has been a great opportunity for us because really at that critical young age, you know, I mentioned 24, but, you know, roughly out of college, usually uh, a young professionals too low on the totem pole of an organization to publish under an institutional affiliation or get any practice in media. So it's kind of a catch-22 when it comes to career advancement is that, um, to be more attractive for promotions, um, new jobs, etc. Particularly if you want to be a policy analyst, a journalist, etc. You got to have writing publications, but oftentimes these people can't get the experience or the opportunity to get those um, to get those uh, writing samples on their CV. So that's where Young Voices comes in. Uh, so we work with both kind of uh, people who are trying to start their own ventures in media, but people who are using it more so as a way to advance their career. Got it. That makes sense. So you've had phenomenal success over the past several years. Every time I see an email come in from you, it's touting more success and bigger numbers and more placements. And it's really been phenomenal to watch. What are some of the lessons you've learned as the organization has grown and evolved? Yeah, learned quite a bit of lessons. Um, one thing that perhaps I always like to say when people ask, like, what is the greatest challenge we've faced? I think it's it's really our name, Young Voices, is both a blessing and a curse. It's our greatest asset and our greatest liability in the sense that it's a blessing in that there's a natural curiosity about what young people have to think that can lend itself to media opportunities. You know, everyone wants to know what the kids these days are up to. Um, but it's also a curse in the sense that some people kind of have a natural distrust of younger people or don't think that they have necessarily the wisdom or knowledge to accurately comment on that. So that's something that we've really taken um, seriously at Young Voices is to have a, a, a very clear and strong filter um, with our applications, making sure that we're accepting people who are um, have shown to have strong research and writing skills 
um, and take commentary and, and research seriously, but also in terms of our processes with fact-checking every single factual claim, et cetera, to make sure that um, we come across as educated younger professionals. And that's been actually, I think, really a, a great breakthrough over the past few years, especially as we've gotten into deeper into policy with things like our policy fellowships and pairing up our writers with mentors is to really take a serious, uh, serious foot forward when it comes to research, vetting information and vetting our writers. So I, I would say that's probably been one of the greatest lessons is to um, take work in and commentary seriously because everyone has an opinion, um, but it's important to uh, put forward an educated opinion. I think that's a really important point. And the more our ideas are backed up with facts, the harder it is to just swat them down uh, with anything but ad hominem attacks. So I think that's steel manning is, is, is the way to go. So what as we wrap up here, kind of what's the pipeline? So you're working with these folks, they're, they're getting great skills and placements and building a resume. What happens when they turn 35 or when they've just, you know, reached a point where their name actually means something? Yeah. So this has been an interesting evolution in our, um, our kind of program pipeline, if you will, that we've really embraced over the past um, year is that Young Voices is now kind of a twofold system where we accept new writers um, through our cornerstone contributor program for six months, where we educate them and train them about the fundamentals of journalism and advocacy and place their media heads. But then after that, after they graduate, they get their certificate of completion. We actually allow our alumni network the opportunity to re-engage with young voices throughout their career when it makes sense by joining what we call our tracks. Um, where they can opt into particular services from Young Voices, like op-ed placement, um, commentary, getting speaking in front of groups through our Speakers Bureau, participating in a policy fellowship, etc. So this is something that looking to the future, we're really um, looking to do is providing Young Voices more as a resource for young professionals in the Liberty Movement that they can um, join and leave and rejoin when it makes sense through certain parts of their career. Say if they get a new job, if they get a new promotion, if they need mentorship for their organization to get into the media. Um, that's something that we're really trying to evolve is to not just train and empower younger people, but also to serve as a resource for the movement as a whole when when needed through our alumni network. Well, it's so important. So many groups, I shouldn't say so many, but it can happen with some of these groups focused on college-age kids or young professionals that they lose track of them over time, and that's that's a loss, right? And so to be able to have them at your fingertips and let them know of opportunities, that's that's a great win. I didn't realize you were doing that, and that's, that's awesome. Casey Given. With Young Voices, really appreciate all you're doing and uh, look forward to continued success. Thank you so much, Peter. The third organization we'll spotlight today shares the news in a novel way through the lens of a taxpaying citizen. The Franklin News Foundation has been around for a while and through several iterations, but its most recent turn is finding real traction and adding real value in the media landscape through its Center Square news service uh, and, and other things which we'll hear about. Chris Krug is president of Franklin News Foundation. Um, so, Chris, why don't we first start with some distinctions between Franklin and the Center Square? Can you elaborate on what each of those is? Well, first of all, Peter, it's great to be with you, and thanks for having me on the program. I'm glad to be here. Um, that question, yeah, Franklin 
News Foundation is the 501c3. It's the umbrella that overneath, uh, or excuse me, over top of the entire organization. And then underneath that is the Center Square Newswire service, which you can get to at www.thecentersquare.com. Um, Franklin also owns the Illinois Radio Network, which is a for-profit company that um, uh, profits of which, I mean, go back into the foundation. That is an affiliate network of now 101 stations that cover the entire state of Illinois. And for that group, we provide news and sports, and we barter that for advertising minutes, which we then sell um, uh, to, uh, to, to, to bring money into the foundation. And within the past couple of months, we have launched the America's Talking Network, which is a podcast network in which the Center Square's podcast work, which are state-focused in the most part, but we also have uh, America in Focus, which is a national uh, podcast that draws from our coverage of Washington, D.C., in this basket at America's Talking. But we've brought along other like-kind organizations that would have an interest in trying to reach, you know, the the center, you know, in a in a in a civil um, and fact-based way. Most of what we provide, the vast majority of what we provide, is straight news from the center square, and our podcasts reflect that. Uh, we bring in commentary from other places, and we actually have our own flagship show called America's Talking, uh, which just launched in December. And and so, kind of shifting more focus on center square here. You mentioned it as a newswire service, so to be clear, it's it's not a Newsmax, it's not a Fox News. You're not per se trying to draw a bunch of eyeballs to it, versus kind of get the the content out to outlets that already exist. Is that is that fair? Yeah, that's correct. And I mean, so last year across America, uh, 577 different outlets in local markets utilized at least one story from the center square. And um, in terms of total republications of our work, um, that number exceeded 175,000 uh, unique placements um, uh, across those outlets. Uh, our group is producing right now about 74 stories a day, Monday through Friday, state house, statewide focused for the most part. We're now delivering news from all 50 states, so just short of our third anniversary of the center square was was born in may of 2019 um, we've been able to get out and across the entire country and uh, we provide those stories to uh, local legacy publishers at no cost to them uh, as part of our mission um, we also uh, have you know the center square website uh, which is again www.thecentersquare.com and our audience there um, really bucked a trend last year and grew, whereas a lot of news organizations uh, lost audience, and, and some would point to um, COVID fatigue, stories about COVID, you know, just sort of not advancing and, and not resonating. Um, and then the um, transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration not nearly as, as, as many clicks, you know, in, 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 in covering government or, or in, the, in the coverage of government, I should say. But we actually had a tremendous year last year uh, on site uh, at the center square and grew considerably. And already this year, our trends are well beyond what they were last year. So in, in the course of about three years time, 
we've not only been able to build this very nice distribution network and to provide quality content into local markets where they don't have an alternative or they're choosing us as an alternative to the Associated Press, we're also developing our own brand and our own on-page readership and, um, you know, and growing in the way that a media company should. Now, your, your focus is, with this growing audience, is focused on the taxpayer, kind right. of generally speaking. And it's not a, you're not a conservative publication with any kind of traditional or stated view. So I'm wondering if there are any times that having that taxpayer focus actually mm-hmm. might put you at odds with some folks who might be pushing more conservative talking points. Well, that's, I mean, that's quite possible. I mean, you know, the art, our view is that there's simply just a hole in the coverage of news at the state house and statewide level, and frankly at the federal level, where the concerns of taxpayers are inherently part of the news. So, from a perspective or point of view, the center square seeks to be the taxpayer's voice in asking the questions that we think taxpayers would care about. Uh, in the news, in real time, in the coverage of daily news stories. And, um, you know, we do that. I mean, obviously, we're a nonpartisan, um, non, you know, nonpolitical. We're a 501c3 organization. So it's it's about straight news. And and uh, just to, like for perspective sake, I mean, I'm a I'm either an, an old young guy or a young old guy. I've been around in the news business, you know, since before the dawn of the Internet. Um, but, you know, was there as an editor at the time that the Internet was blossoming. So my first opportunity to be a lead editor at a newspaper was in the digital age. And simply, you know, along the way, um, the process by which the news was covered, and in particular in, in suburban and midsize, and, and in, I would say in rural America, um, the voice of the wire services really shifted, and the focus seemed to be more so on what was happening uh, at the state house through an, a more metropolitan lens. So you know the the whatever it was legislatively that was being discussed in any of the state houses around the country, uh, the perspective that was being delivered to the readers via these wire services, whether it was the Associated Press or whether it was Bloomberg or Reuters or whomever it was that, you know, that was providing this content, really wasn't a lot in there for the taxpayers. So much so that in my local newspapers, we had to add it in. And mm-hmm. so as we've taken on this, this, this project and as we've built out the center square, We've started with that very key piece because the cost of government, the effectiveness of government, what government does with tax dollars is important. And in the markets that that our team has grown up in this business serving, in some cases, that was the most important aspect of any story about government. So we start there. That's I think that that's maybe our biggest point of differentiation, that our news is very much on point with what's happening as it's happening but we look at the news through the lens of a taxpayer. And whether you're left or right, whether you think government should get bigger or smaller, either way, whether you want to applaud or, or boo it, you want to know what's going on with and that's that, it. that spending. That's exa- I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, it's the, it's the transparency. I mean, we all, I think on some level, we all look at our tax bills, whether it's at the register at CVS and it's as long as your arm, 
or if uh, you take a look at you know your your actual um, property tax bill and you you look at all the different line items that you're paying for um, and you and you ask the question well why are these numbers moving in the direction that they're moving and I think for most Americans um, those numbers are moving in a direction that's costing them money not saving them money so you know these decisions that that show up at the cash register and on your property tax bill they're happening in real time in legislatures around the country and we are simply providing a light as to why and and how and who benefits and who doesn't what programs are and uh, and what they cost and then ultimately what do they cost to you so how do you measure effectiveness all this i mean you can measure placements you can measure reach but how do you know you're actually getting the point across that, that this taxpayer perspective matters? Well, there's a, number, there's a number of ways. And I mean, as the media mosaic has continued to, to kind of spread out, you know, there's just more tiles on the board. It's, I think it's, you know, how many different places do you show up? And um, so for us, I mean, you know, the, the number of outlets that run us um, uh, republish our work. And I'm talking about like legacy outlets around the country. It's fascinating to see how that uptake has continued to grow, even as media has struggled and uh, the number of outlets has shrunk. Um, so that's one way that we measure our effectiveness. Um, but it's for me, I think it's you know it's it's you know from an impact standpoint, you know we uh, did a story where we peeled back, and this was in Florida, we pe- we peeled back a, a state budget in which federal funding was involved uh, at Florida State University and found that they were receiving federal dollars to um, to teach uh, critical race theory to future teachers. And um, that came as a big surprise to a, a congressman from the state of Florida, a U.S. congressman from the state of Florida, who called for an investigation about it. Um, so I guess that is impactful and that, that we, you know, that, that we were able to bring something to bear that the government itself thought was interesting enough to, you know, to, to investigate. But, you know, I mean, there's any number of ways, you know, to, to, to measure it. I think as a media company, what you're ultimately looking for is as much mind share as market share. And in, in the matter of three years, we've gone from uh, something that didn't exist to an entity that people have familiarity with. Uh, we have a you know a um, subscriber list now of our newsletters uh, that is pushing six hundred thousand, and um, I mean those are they're starting to be big numbers, and um, certainly the interaction that that our content has online, the number of shares that we get in Facebook. I mean, because we are a platform agnostic brand, um, you know, it's our stated mission is to is to create the news and to distribute it widely. Uh, it, I think that for us the way that we determine whether or not we're growing is to measure the ways that we're growing in the places where our content ultimately lands. Well, it's great to see the Center Square growing. Great to see the new podcast network and all of this continue to grow. Chris Krug, thanks for joining us today. Peter's wonderful. Thanks so much. If you're like me and often despair at the state of media, I hope hearing from today's groups gave your spirit a little lift. As you go through your own media diet, Look out for stories from these folks. Watch for that center square byline in your local paper. Visit thecollegefix.org and see what these young reporters are turning up. And next time you see a Gen Z or millennial op-ed, explore whether there's a connection to young voices. 
It's worth noting that several organizations we've previously featured on Giving Ventures also have journalism programs doing great work. At Foundation for Economic Education, they have the Hazlett Project for Educational Journalism. Fund for American Studies has its terrific Robert Novak Journalism Fellowship. Intercollegiate Studies Institute has its collegiate network, which offers scholarships to aspiring college journalists. And some groups that we haven't spoken to yet. Steamboat Institute in Colorado has the Tony Blankley Fellowship to help aspiring influencers in the public policy space. And America's Future has a great writers program that develops young professionals and allows them to hone their skills. Visit donorstrust.org slash podcast for a link to the show notes where we'll put links to all of the guests as well as some of the programs I just mentioned. And you can support any of those through your Donors Trust Donor Advised Fund or visiting directly and making a gift. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe or, if you're feeling extra generous today, give the podcast a rating or review, or maybe share this episode with someone who will value it. It's a small gift of time for you, but would mean so much to us. Thank you for listening. Let's talk more soon. Thank you.